Welcome to the latest edition of the Crossroads Podcast. I'm John Burke, America's Editor for Information News. Joining me today is Dylan Fu, Senior Partner and Co-Head of Infrastructure for Global Asset Manager, Apollo Global Management. Dylan, thanks for joining today's program. Thanks for having me, John. Looking forward to it. So our topic today, not surprisingly, following the inauguration of President Biden, is to look at what trends will emerge in 2021 in infrastructure investing in the U.S. But first, I will do a quick review of 2020 from a trends perspective. Our annual league tables with information will be published shortly. It will show in the U.S. and Canada that deal volume was way up in telecom to 16% from 4% year over year. Uh, renewables spiked to 28% from 20% year over year, and energy infrastructure dropped considerably to 28% from 43% year over year. Uh, moreover, deal value was uh, in dollars, sorry, was off slightly at uh, 231 billion in 2020, as opposed to 233 billion in 2019. A remarkable figure considering how frozen the markets were in the spring of 2020 uh, as COVID-19 triggered a massive shutdown across both countries. So Dylan, as an infrastructure manager, perhaps you can walk us through 2020 from an investment standpoint and give us a sense of uh, what were the real obstacles out there and how you were able to overcome those challenges. Yeah, thanks, John. It was a crazy period really in hindsight. I mean, looking back on how much the world has changed in 12 months, it's pretty incredible actually. And I think, um, you know, as a starting point, really, for infrastructure, uh, it was a really good test in some ways, actually, 2020 um, for the asset class. I mean, infrastructure has really developed a lot and, you know, it was tested somewhat in the 2008 global financial crisis. But if you think about how infrastructure has positioned itself as an asset class in terms of essential, stable, uh, predictable, you know, 2020 in some ways was really the ultimate test for that. And you know, we've seen different subsectors impacted differently. So that was quite a quite an interesting period from that perspective. I think, you know, looking back on how we approached the year and and sort of the impacts that we had, I kind of break it up into a couple of things. I think the very first one is really, you know, as a GP and as a manager and a custodian of capital for our clients, was really our investor relations and how we were going to tackle that. We were getting a lot of inquiries inbounds, how our portfolio was performing and you know, for some of our pension-based clients, obviously they were suffering from liquidity issues. So we really had to come up with an effective communication strategy. And if I had to summarize that for us at Apollo, it was really over-communicate, be available, work your way through. And, you know, I hadn't even been on Zoom 12 months ago, uh, sitting here in January now, 2021, and really coming up with um, ways to work with them, communicate the performance of the portfolio and really what our plans were and work with them wherever possible. I think the next thing we were obviously focused about, or you know, probably the most important one, was really breaking up our investing into kind of defense and offense. And from a portfolio management perspective and looking after our existing assets, really getting on the defense and understanding what were the challenges, what we needed to do to manage them and ensure the continued performance. I think paramount to us was really the health and safety of our employees. This was at a period of time when the lockdowns broke that it was really unclear at the time how much the pandemic would impact people, what the health effects were. And for us, it was really putting in place measures and, and spending capital wherever needed to really ensure the, the protection and safety of those employees. From an asset perspective, it was also really, you know, defense around things like 
liquidity, drawing down revolvers where we needed to, just given the uncertainty in the markets, and really making sure we were scrubbing our assets, working with our portfolio companies to do business continuity planning, shoring up the balance sheets, and really just working with them to ensure they would continue to perform you know, through that, that turbulent period. I would say then, you know, in addition to that, you know, Polo is a firm which is somewhat um, contrarian in nature and, you know, we often see opportunities of dislocation as a, as a great time to invest. And so from an offense perspective, our origination strategy was really looking, being proactive and targeting assets where we felt may have been impacted through valuations, may have liquidity challenges and really working to to look for opportunities that could take advantage of the dislocation that was happening across a number of the uh, subsectors. So it was a crazy year and, and a really good one in hindsight um, to test the asset class and, and, and really stress test how it would play out through that dislocation. So getting back to Apollo real quickly, of course, uh, the asset manager has said in the market, it's uh, raising its second infrastructure fund that's already made investments in uh, US Wind, a Maryland-based offshore wind developer Great Bay Renewables, a provider of renewable energy development capital, and has made investments in uh, parallel infrastructure, um, a wireless tower company. Telecom is our uh, next topic of discussion here. Um, 2020 uh, was defined um, with big deals and lots of uh, evolving players in the digital infrastructure realm. The year kicked off with uh, Digital Colony and EQT doing a take private of Azeo. Separately, EQT would acquire a data center owner, Edge Connects, and then Digital Colony would then effectuate two massive recapitalizations in the data center space, which resulted in uh, inflows of capital into two of its mature data center portfolios, Vantage and later Zcolo, which was originally part of Zio, um, while affiliates of Digital Colony would then retain a minority stake and operational control of the assets. That's a mouthful. Uh, so, Dylan... Just going back to trends in telecom, it feels like a little bit tired territory at this point explaining what's driving it. We would be uh, one of among 100 uh, web webinars and podcasts explaining telecom trends right now. I want to talk about what comes next. Given the increased competition for these telecom platforms, which effectively creates a potential for diminishing returns, can you tell us from your vantage point where the real opportunity uh, lies for Apollo and Infra Funds pursuing telecom investments at this point? Yeah, look, I agree with you, John. It's been a topic everyone's talked about in the last 12 months. And in some ways, it's kind of ironic because some of us that have been doing telecoms infrastructure, you know, for a while now had to explain why it was infrastructure, just probably going back only four or five years ago. And it seems like the pendulum has completely swung the opposite way. Uh, I think with that, you know, I would say you're right. It does feel like some of the, um, you know, the new players in this space, uh, you know, and, and some of the valuations that we've seen feel like that there could be a little bit of a bubble, frankly, in some of the deals uh, that have been out there in the market. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on because ultimately you need to have that discipline and valuation, even if you are in a, a subsector which has exceptional growth behind it. If you're paying all that growth into an into an into a investment case, you're kind of really leaving yourself with downside risk. So I think that's a that's a really good point. I mean, from our perspective, you know, where do we see the opportunity? Um, you know, we continue to believe that uh, we're in a period of time where the 5G rollout across the US will provide a lot of investment opportunity. I mean, ultimately, all of the wireless connectivity that is needed to support, you know, a, a post-COVID social and business world 
um, is predicated on having hard assets that support them. But within that, you know, we really see the best value really in kind of the lower to mid market. And the reason is pretty simple is because we can buy platforms, require them like, like parallel infrastructure, which you mentioned, and deploy more success-based CapEx into them. And when you're doing that at a project level and, you know, directly putting that CapEx in yourself, you're kind of creating your own value and you're building your own platform up to a scale where you can sell that um, to the next buyer and, you know, create your own value rather than pay for that value. So for us, I, I think the platform play um, is really interesting. I think the 5G rollout, in particular, you know, fiber uh, towers, yeah, in a disciplined way, of course, all makes a ton of sense. Um, I think there's a lot of other trends and opportunities, you know, more globally, but for us, you know, we're sort of spending the immediate future really focusing around how we can deploy capital to support that kind of once in a generation build out here in North America. Are there other certain geographies which could be the continued focus of capital inflows into the, the telecom sector? Anything you've observed about that trend, even if it's not your investment focus right now? I mean, look, we've, we've observed it's happening across the globe. I, I think, you know, as I mentioned, we're really focused around North America. We have a sort of more OECD developed market um, strategy around that and, and a platform strategy. But, you know, the capital inflows required across the world, you know, pretty immense to kind of support that build out. If you think about some of the developed markets where we've seen recent investments and in emerging markets, there's a lot of capital needed to support as populations grow and get more connected um, and economies change. You know, obviously from our perspective, emerging markets, there's immense opportunity, but they also come with, you know, additional risk, uh, geopolitical, foreign exchange, sometimes some sovereign risk as well. So you want to make sure that you're getting compensated appropriately for the additional risk that you're taking, as opposed to just paying a developed market, you know, kind of price and return uh, for that investment. But it's, it's really exciting. I mean, the world is changing around us as we speak and communications is at the forefront of that. And we think there'll be capital inflows and opportunities across the globe, but we're tending to focus, as I mentioned, really more around uh, plenty of wood to chop here in, uh, in the US particularly. So just talking about, going back to my earlier question about telecom deals in 2020, and I, again, I talked through quite a bit, but, you know, there were others I didn't mention. And, you know, beyond that, there were a couple of interesting uh, auctions that were going on, almost private equity style through 2020 and 2019. You know, this is speaks more to telecom and generally, in general, the infrastructure sector, I guess. So both sides of the equation. Do you believe all the bidding is irrational or is the ability to hit growth rates exist and why? Yeah, I mean, look, we've been in an interesting market with low yields for the last decade. And this, this, this question, you know, really has applied for the last kind of five to seven years. And it's interesting that in a, in a post-COVID world, we really didn't see a runoff of valuations uh, for a lot of assets. Maybe it was, I guess, the scarcity of some of the assets in terms of less sales being out there and, you know, the same amount of capital chasing them. So, I do think um, you use the word irrational. I'm not sure I could sort of call it that because I guess everyone has their own mandate. I mean, we compete against at times people that you know aren't necessarily GPs. Maybe they're more direct investors that are looking for longer term yield or a more longer duration investment and can therefore rationalise a different price or strategics that can bid SGA, you know, takeouts. So, but I, I do think holistically this continues to be you know, for quality infrastructure assets, a seller's market. 
and the high valuations around those sort of more quality core established assets will continue to to persist regardless of COVID. I guess you know what does that mean for for folks looking you know to to kind of achieve growth infrastructure or more core plus and for us it's really just staying disciplined and you know looking for those smaller run-of-the-mill opportunities where you can capitalize on exceptional tailwinds behind you but be a little bit more creative in how you structure the investment or how you deploy the capital and how you support a business to actually achieve that growth rather than just kind of paying it all up front you know i think some of the techniques that we use here at apollo within our sort of overall investment strategy is we like corporate carve-outs, for example, and they tend to be pretty complex transactions. You know, we execute, executed on two last year, where if you think about the seller, they're not necessarily another GP. They're a seller which is often looking for, there are other drivers behind the rationale to sell beyond just price and valuation. And so if you can work with them and provide execution certainty and help drive a corporate carve-out and transaction, and, and in some cases be a good custodian of the assets because you have an ongoing relationship with them, that's a great way for us to kind of execute a playbook and drive value for ourselves rather than just turning up at an auction you know, and paying a premium price. Uh, we, we also sort of invest through what we call structured solutions. I think that's a little bit unique in the market because a lot of infrastructure funds are kind of delineated between you know, a pure equity fund or a pure debt fund. Uh, whilst our strategy continues to remain equity focused, we, we like the ability to do what we call structured solutions. So you know, whether that's preferred equity, you know, kind of MES, Holco, you know, putting in place earnouts in a deal, for example, to sort of protect ourselves. Ultimately, that structuring um, can sometimes be complex and kind of sometimes be simple, but it's really designed to protect the downside and to put in place some structuring where there may be a risk profile around an asset, maybe a greenfield asset, for example, and you want to structure around that risk and, and, and pass that risk along to someone who's better able to take that. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think there is definitely high valuations, but I still think there's a lot of tailwinds behind infrastructure and there's a lot of opportunity out there. You've just got to get out there and really have the, the origination hat on and look for them and have the ability to be flexible and creative in terms of how you structure and, and, uh, and execute on the deals. So shifting over to transport, obviously in the US, the amount of investment activity in, in core transport really has declined quite rapidly you know, in recent years. I think there were a lot of people that were looking forward, for instance, to a St. Louis airport privatization that never really manifested itself. And, you know, albeit there's a lot of activity at, at JFK today, it has its own set of unique challenges, the JFK uh, International Airport, excuse me. But, you know, 2021 uh, has opened the gates to some potentially new activity, new interesting activity. Um, you know, plans have finally advanced in the Capital Beltway uh, Managed Lanes program where uh, bidding's open for. Um, phase one of that project. Meanwhile, Georgia has unveiled a series of programs on the Greenfield side under the MMIP program, including uh, most notably the SR400 project. Elsewhere in the M&A field, what's, what really occupied a lot of transportation volume in recent years has been class two rail operators, most notably led by um, Brookfield, uh, by now Geneseo in Wyoming, but it goes well below that in terms of quantity. So, uh, Dylan, with all that, let's talk about the incoming Biden administration and any tea leaves you're seeing that could lead to future investment opportunities in transport assets and, and what might drive that. Yeah, I, I guess firstly, you know, just on the, your points that you make around uh, airport investing and rail, I mean, I guess 
you know, if you think about 2020, demand-led transport assets like airports and, you know, in some cases, toll roads and surface-based transport wasn't a great time to sell. And I think a lot of the owners of that were looking more around liquidity and just like shoring up balance sheets and kind of holding off. So it's probably not surprising that last year there was like less activity there and rail to some extent saw through the pandemic with some of the names that you mentioned. Also, I guess the Kansas City Southern opportunity that you know, gathered a lot of press. So I think that's probably one of the reasons that drove more activity into rail. It was you know, seen as relatively stable and predictable with less demand impact. I think your question on the Biden administration is a really good one. I think, you know, clearly every administration likes to talk about infrastructure and we've seen this, you know, for the last couple of decades here. And clearly, if you go around the country, you can see with your own eyes and, you know, you can just look at the underinvestment that's happened in in some of the really notable infrastructure, transportation subsectors. And so that has a lot of good tea leaves, as you put it, behind it. I think to me, what's really interesting is obviously the Democrats control the House and the Senate now. And so, you know, theoretically, there will be an opportunity really to kind of take advantage now for the first time in a decade and actually put in place some plans and try to try to implement them. If you look at, and I was just doing this actually a couple of hours ago with the transport secretary nomination, it's, it's a good time that we talked. Some of the commentary that's come out, it's really favorable around investing into infrastructure as a whole, whether that's renewables, communications, and also transportation. I think uh, some of the things that are going to be required to support the broader programs will include more investment in you know, high quality public transport infrastructure. That's something the Biden administration have talked about, which could be interesting as you know, urban infrastructure looks for more investment. Uh, I think that you know, one of the interesting things that was just spoken about um, in the nomination process just recently and a couple of hours ago was also uh, EV and charging stations. And that's something that as an industry, we've, you know, we've all acknowledged the opportunity and risk from the electrification of vehicles and the automation of it. But that's really a challenge that's really, really big. That's going to require, I, I've always thought, you know, some form of public-private type partnership to solve that problem. Uh, as opposed to just the car manufacturers trying to do it themselves. So I think that that, that will present exceptional opportunity. And, and I guess just beyond that, there is going to be needed, you know, given how old and how deteriorated some of the um, highways, bridges, and just roads are across the US, just continued maintenance and replacement capex opportunities, which, you know, given the broader outlook for the economy, should hopefully result in more private capital participation I don't know how yet, and I don't know which method will be chosen, but I do think that there will be increased opportunity for private capital, you know, to support the improvement of some of these public assets. So, look, overall, I think it's a really exciting time. I think infrastructure is one of those things, you know, politically it's great as well because it helps create jobs and just boost the economy. And both of those points, given where we are today, are really important. So we're really excited about it and, you know, we're looking forward to participating in not just transport, but also, as I, as I mentioned, the clean energy future, which has been spoken about a lot, um, as well as communications, which you know has a lot of tailwinds as well behind it from a, a administration perspective. Yes, and certainly uh, to your point about the, uh, the public-private partnership front for EV, we feel like some of it's in place already. But it, yeah, I mean, it's very limited from that point, standpoint, meaning there's definitely more room to grow in that area, such as an ongoing project we're covering now, which is the New York State Thruway rest stop project, which John Lang and, and uh, Apple Green are 
sort of working to get up and running. Anyway, so just moving over to the energy space where, you know, we hear the keyword decarbonization, clean energy, and and those things you just mentioned about a second ago are all here. Obviously, there was a, a really sharp tail off in energy investment and in infrastructure last in 2020, which really applies to midstream and midstream investments. Do you see any drivers surfacing again with, where there would be a newer investment push? You know, we hear from the market, you know, a lot of the midstream investments, you know, came up sort of as a direct result of almost transport investments going away. Obviously, these were contracted assets and um, there was a, a good reason to put a lot of capital inflows into the, these type of investment dollars. Um, but at the same breath, you know, as 2020 went on and the renewable push and decarbonization push came forward and also volatile oil prices, of course, I should not should mention that first. Combining all these things, it was it was a, just a down year in energy investments in general on, on some level. Are there any drivers, do you think, which would bring back a newer investment push in this arena, either for midstream or for LNG in terms of, of new investment? Yeah, look, I, this is an interesting point because um, obviously, you know, all of the tailwinds are behind decarbonization, which really kind of like from an infrastructure standpoint, pushes towards lots of capital going into the renewable sector. I think, you know, we we believe in the energy transition and we're supporters of it, but we also were realistic and I think it will take a long-term, you know, sort of secular shift to move more into that clean energy space. And that, that will happen, but it will take time. And clearly, you know, with the runoff of valuations last year in the midstream sector and, you know, the tide going out uh, for a lot of people, that's probably pushed a lot of capital away from there. But But I do think that, you know, as investors, your job is to really assess you know, risk or reward and look for opportunities. And ultimately midstream, you know, will still have a path to play up until a, a full clean energy shift. And with that path, there will be opportunities, we think, on a very discreet and tactical basis to acquire some of these assets at valuations, which probably haven't existed in the last five years, just given the amount of capital and high multiples being paid for these. So I think for us, um, it's not a, you know, it's not something I want to sort of position as us actively charging into, but your job as an, as an investor is really to look for opportunities on a risk-reward basis. And we think that there will be some of those opportunities in midstream. Now, for us, one of the, the disciplines I think that was lost here and why people lost money is really the, the notion of contracted assets. And I'm glad you mentioned that because ac- across the board, that's really where you found out which assets have performed well and which haven't. And I think for us, you know, we would continue using that discipline around contracted assets wherever possible in the midstream space, you know, in quality basins uh, where we feel good about the long-term impact and obviously coming in on a much better valuation than a few years ago. So I think the, the short answer is there will be opportunities, but, you know, you clearly need to, with the way energy is moving longer term, make sure you value those right and get the right um, appropriate risk return mix. Okay, to close it out, a quick question on... Uh the new presidential administration. Obviously, to your point earlier, uh, it seems like infrastructure comes up uh, every four years. And with the previous presidential administration was a very hot button topic two years ago. What, what's your impression so far of the administration in terms of their, um, how it's going to, and how they're going to influence um, infrastructure uh, going forward? I think I, t- I touched on some of this earlier. We have a really favorable impression. I think that uh, the key key point there is really the control of the House and Senate and ability to actually execute and implement plans. 
we've all seen, you know, the notion of billions and trillions of dollars mentioned over the past, you know, two decades by different administrations. But I really think some of the core principles of the campaign, the Democrats really play well um, to infrastructure. And, you know, even things around social inequality that we've seen flows through to having better infrastructure to support certain economies and, you know, underprivileged areas, even things like, you know, public infrastructure, uh, transport infrastructure to support that and communications infrastructure to bridge the digital divide. And there's some interesting things happening and being talked about around that to improve education quality and give people more of an equal footing. So we're really excited by it. Uh, We think it applies across the board. The most obvious one we just talked about is really renewables and the push there. But actually, if you think about it, infrastructure as a whole asset class will play a much bigger role and uh, across transport, um, all the subsectors there, and even to some extent, possibly the the education uh, opportunities that you might see and health opportunities you might see in other markets where there's PPPs, that could be also an area where infrastructure starts playing a bigger role uh, given the recent you know, sort of devastating health effects that have happened in the last kind of 12 months. So, so very, very excited and, and, and looking forward to, to seeing some actual, you know, real tangible movement in this space. Great, Dylan. Well, that is all the time we have. So thank you, Dylan, for joining today's program. It was a really informative 30-minute discussion. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you next time. So with that, Burke out.